0: As I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Jane Cunningham is somebody who I met through Facebook of all places and I said, oh my gosh you have got to come talk with us on the podcast. And so she did. And what she wanted to talk about is how the unknown and facing a pandemic and dealing with grief impacts our nervous system. And then from there, how we relate to one another. But Jane brings her own special and unique flavor of looking at these things because she comes to us from New Zealand and we talk about how her own view has been shaped by where she comes from. So Jane is somebody who does work with both people, one-on-one and online, looking at archetypal, mythological, unconscious work, largely Jungian in nature, looking at our shadow material and what happens in our body and our nervous system. And it's all very soulful. She proudly claims that she has no letters after her name. But when you hear this conversation, I believe that you will hear that sometimes it's the people with the least letters after their name that are the wisest. And so I bring to you a great healer and teacher and connector, Jane Cunningham. So, um, just Jane. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give folks a context of of how I met you. I even I said it very frankly in the in the write up for this event. I said, so here's this post that Jane made on Facebook a week and a half ago, and I kind of stalked her and said I'd really love to interview you for the Sidewalk Talk podcast, and and maybe we could do it live because I can imagine a lot of folks would want to participate. Mm. And um, here we are, but. Jane, can can you kind of give people a little bit of your story and who you are and how you came to writing such an eloquent post on connection and the nervous system? Wow. Thank you.
1: (laughs) I don't know uh, if if I can say what got me there succinctly, because life is such a windy path, right? I'm, as you possibly can tell from New Zealand. I am a Pākehā New Zealander, which means I'm not, uh, I'm not Māori. And um, my people came here so, uh, fairly soon after the treaty was signed with Māori. Um, I am uh, one of those people who has done a lot of eclectic things and is finally at the grey-haired stage of my life, sort of weaving me, me too. together. <laughs> And the work that I've been doing, I started um, getting very interested in Jungian psychology after reading Women Who Run With The Wolves um, and have studied with Dr. Estes. had the great privilege of studying with her for some time now. And so my work is really looking at connecting with the unconscious and trying to help me understand why it feels like the measurable world that we live in and can see and touch is only a part of who we are. And Mm -hmm. so I'm doing this dance between the very human side of being in a body (laughs) and the very um, immense side of being in a body. Mm -hmm. So my interest is, um, is kind of narrow and deep because that's, um, the, the connection with the unconscious and the very humanness of being here as a human is what draws me into work. And so I started studying SE because I knew that I was leaving the body out of what it was that I'd learnt and what was drawing me into life. And the model, the polyvagal theory, and the somatic experiencing um, framework has just created this really generous kindness. And my understanding about my own reactions, my own experience, and the reactions and experiences of others. So with this whole COVID-19 response, um, I, w- I think what's, what has happened is that people have their regular coping strategies stripped away in many ways. Yeah. And yeah. people are really perplexed and people are hurting. and you know, this immense amount of change that's been just literally thrown at people has, you know, it's made it hard. And so I kind of was thinking about the hard from the EC model and wrote that piece. Mm. Mm.
0: What I love about how you talk about polyvagal theory, though, is that you bring in a little bit of magic, right? There's a way in which when somebody starts talking about polyvagal theory, I want to go, right? (laughs) I could get <laughs> super bored and uninterested, and it feels like I'm being dissected into a machine. And when I read what you were writing, there was a poetry and a soul. It's like you were combining the body and femininity and the soul. And I. Do you, do you, does that, do you have that experience too, where, where you feel like that's missing sometimes? Well, I guess I.
1: You know, I do come to things with that deep connection to the unconscious and that always brings magic with it. <clears throat> I guess what the polyvagal theory brought alive in me is that this body is, it's, so I'll change tack a little bit. Dr. Estes talks about the body as the faithful companion or the body consort So that we come into life with this magnificent being whose job it is to squire us lovingly through our days and to support us in any way it can. And so when I connect to the polyvagal theory, that's what I see. I see us in this amazing being trying our very best to turn up in ways that keep us safe.
0: Okay. So I guess that's kind of how I enter the theory. Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting distracted now because I just had a notice to make us go live another thing that I have to do. But ah. while I'm doing that, yeah. I guess the piece that I want to understand is what's different then about how you hold our sense of connection. Cause you were talking about connection in your post and what are you integrating when you think about humans and how we connect? Cause you're connecting that. It sounds like you're, thinking about the nervous system and you're thinking about the unconscious and you're thinking about the earth, bring, bring me into that a little bit and help me understand how you're, how you're holding that. Okay.
1: So when we are um, from the polyvagal theory kind of framework, when we feel safe, it's not only that a saber toothed tiger isn't outside the hat about to pounce on us, right? Not just physical safety. It's belonging and connection. So that's, we require belonging and connection and that kind of emotional safety, like this, this person has my back, this person I can trust. If we don't have that piece, we're not so connected to this more modern thinking, creative, um, relational part of our brain. Yeah. We're much more likely to be acting out of fight and flight or out of shutdown and functional freeze. Mm -hmm. Right. So my understanding is that belonging is a crucial part of what makes us feel safe. And when we feel safe, we're more able to think clearly and use this developed part of our brain in Mm -hmm. service of not only ourselves, but each other. Because we know that, I know that if you're in good shape, Tracy, I'm much more likely to get a good deal. And I think that's part of what I guess the whole COVID-19 piece is really brought home, that unless my community is safe and well, I'm not safe and well. And there's a little shift out of that kind of it's all about me and my well-being model that Western culture has kind of slid into. Mm -hmm. Pulling the veil, right?
0: Yeah, and so what I hear you saying is that because – our well-being and our survival right now in particular is so caught up in who does or doesn't have the virus, who stays quarantined if they do, how we honor each other by staying indoors, um, that that is challenging this notion of individualism in a very particular way. I think so. But you said something really interesting that I think touches on another sensitivity, which is it bumps up against our notions of sovereignty. Mm. Yeah, and right. I thought that was really interesting because it feels counter to this notion that we're actually supporting our community when we're actually limiting our own freedom, so to speak. Yeah, And that yeah. seems to be where there's this tension is our individual freedom versus our community well-being. And what is the exchange we're willing to make there? And that's... That's a big deal, right? Because sovereignty is
1: so important. feeling like I am the author of my own story, that I get to make choices that um, either make me stronger or weaken me is a very crucial part of um, inhabiting our, this precious life that we have, you know being able to make choices that support ourselves is you know, it's, it's key uh, yeah. to stepping up and to delivering on our own gifts and all that but if we only think about what serves me and I don't care about you over there then we don't have that belonging which is that crucial part of functioning from that you know more recent more developed part of our brain we've got to think about community and so I guess that's the piece that um is being called into the light at the moment. We're being asked to look at actually shifting out of that. It only matters what happens to me model and into it matters what happens to me and it matters what happens in my community. And that's, you know, my little neighborhood. It's my country and it's the whole planet Mm. at the
0: moment. Yeah. So, I just became conscious of something that I think intellectually I've heard a hundred times, but something just clicked as you were speaking, which is this notion. You know, so often we talk about belonging as something we're not receiving, rather than belonging as something we're creating. Yeah. Right? And that when we are actively changing our lens from me to we, that is our participation in creating belonging. Cause oftentimes it's a, a, a victim kind of mindset that I'm being excluded or I'm left out. And, and really it's a, it's a shift to how am I creating belonging? Not how am I belonging is what yeah. just arose in me. And it, I, I'm going to have to chew on that one for a while to fully integrate you know, where I'm going to go with that meaning because I don't know yet. But yeah, uh, it's just profound for me in this moment. I agree. And I think um, there's
1: there's modeling outside of us about, um, I think we have cultural modeling about what belonging looks like that shapes the way we think about So I've been reflecting on, you know, I come from New Zealand, which is a moderate socialist country.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I have modeling deep in my bones. I will turn this around. There's my granddad's hat over there. (laughs) He was was a coal miner and he worked for the 40-hour working week in New Zealand. Was in unions, worked for that. And so I have this deep in my bones sense that under the socialist model in New Zealand, if people who are disadvantaged get left behind, that is a commentary on our community. Hmm. And so I think it's been easier for New Zealand, not everybody for sure, to react in the community to COVID-19 because we have free... Healthcare, we have free education. It's part of who we understand ourselves being as a nation. Mm. So, there's m- ways that the cultural overlay that we have, Dr. Estes calls it the overculture that we live in, shapes what we think about community mm. and belong, and therefore belonging, and where the onus rests for us to contribute or be part of, or, yeah. So I think, I think that's part of it, you know, um,
0: and yeah, so sorry. Say, I'm just, what came alive in me, as you said, that is, is how much our self is shaped by that over culture. Like we keep having this idea that the self is just happening between the maternal infant dyad and it's just not that self is getting shaped by the soil and, the overculture and all of those things. And this would be the place when I'd shared, I, I get frustrated sometimes with the medicalization of the human soul vis a vis psychology uh, mm. that I was interested in nutting about with you here. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I, think, I think that's one model and one framework that we have to explain what's going on. And I think the closer we get to honouring soul, the more we realise how puny that model is in the face of the immensity that's there. And I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying it's a slice of the whole picture. Um, And I guess um, for me, and this is part um, part of what I do with the blessing work that I do, is helping people understand how modern Western culture, and I use that phrase really um, specifically because I think in our, each of us who are in modern Western culture come from roots that were very connected to the land, very connected to community, very connected to soul and the spiritual experience of being human. But we, we just step away from that and mm. we found ourselves in this little paradigm that cuts us off from those things and I that's my that's why the medicalization of psychology um, feels pretty dry to me and relatively meager and why I'm drawn to Jungian work because Mm. that is very much about looking at psyche as soul Mm. looking at soul as soul as connection to that immensity Mm
0: -hmm. wow we really went there Tracy (laughs) I'm just, I'm just grooving on this. I'll make sure and send you. I'm, I'm grooving on a book right now called um, A Cultural History of Psychotherapy in America in particular. Mm-hmm. And you would really dig this guy because, you know, he says, look, in Western, Western psych, in American psychotherapy, we've constructed an empty self so that we can sell that self stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And You know, so the entire self has been built up around our particular economic system, and we need to sort of take up um, an education of heuristics to really challenge Mm -hmm. how all of our research is to, in a way, support our existing model of the self rather than actually looking more deeply and liberating Mm -hmm. people from that over culture imposition on the soul. So yeah. yeah, I like going there. We're good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like the polyvagal theory has helped me like feel, um, feel that connection between soul and body, which I think is one of the ways we can circumvent that, that process that you were just talking about. So tell know, me more about, about it.
0: Tell, help me, help teach me
1: something. Help, help me learn. Because it's, my body is more than a machine that transports my clever brain around. <laughs> it's this living, responsive, generous um, being that I'm, is integral to me being able to think and act out in the world and do all those things that we modern psychology talks about. And I cannot separate from it. Mm-hmm. And, and when I understand how my system reacts, it helps me because it's generous. It, this, my system is always in service of me. It might have some fairly wonky ideas about what will keep me in good shape. And when I understand that, I can sort that out. I can help my whole experience change. And I think modern psychology, in my experience, discounts body Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know it just wants to think about clinical processes and you know all this thinky thinky brain stuff which is important thinky thinky brain is there for a reason and it's only part of the picture yeah yeah i guess what is it really important to me is that that acknowledgement of soul that you spoke so beautifully about before that soul Mm. is it's part of the human experience to have a soul. Mm-hmm. And that's why Dr. Estes's work is just so rich for me because that's, you know, she truly embodies and expresses and reinforces the whole idea that we are more than just a thinky-walky machine. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I want to pull something up from just, I, I want to grab how you speak about your work. Um on your website, because I think there's a way in which you capture the essence of it. And it doesn't, there, nowhere do you make promises to fix people, that's, which is, you know, again, that's part of what happens in psychology. Something's broken that needs to be fixed. So I'm just going to read this. Um, you said, we're all numinous souls. The word numinous means being in the presence of the divine. My work is to offer pathways back to being present with the numinous that is in us around us, simply waiting to be seen. So getting back to the divine, we all come to this life with a unique spark of the divine glowing in our hearts. Sometimes the world lights up that spark, stokes it into a flame, and then a blazing fire. Sometimes that spark becomes so tiny in ourselves and in others around us that we forget it even exists. My work is to fan those sparks that you make your way back to connection with the divine, so that you come home. Um, that's very different than maybe something I would see on a psychotherapist website. <laughs> and yet you study a lot of, <laughs> and yet you study a lot of psychology. And I, you know, I don't know to what extent um, will edit parts, the front end or not, but if, if we edit out the, the Maori piece, I think it'd be important to bring this in here. I said to you, I said, hey, Jane, I want to tell you something really funny about New Zealand. You know, the first time I, I went to New Zealand, here I thought I was having a, a, a drunk surfing vacation, and I ended up having this incredible connection to Maori culture, and I felt like I had come home. I'd often felt some of my friends in the U.S. feeling a deep and abiding connection to indigenous cultures in the United States, and I never have. It's just never landed for me in in my soul Um, to the point where I have a big old Maori tattoo on my back. Mm -hmm. It's just, Mm -hmm. yeah. Loved it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a very special part of the world. I have no... um, you know, I often joke that I should be on the payroll of the New Zealand uh, tourist <laughs> tourist. <board. laughs> but, um. Tourist. But, you know, my people came here um, as immigrants from the UK and uh, with their own cultural in- injury around being kicked off the lands that they'd grown up on and farmed on for generations. And then they come here and do the same to the people who live here. Um, and my, um, as I was growing up, uh, I learned a little bit about, um, Teo Māori or the Māori worldview, um, when I was at primary school and intermediate school and looked at it through the lens of, you know, being a white person and being a coloniser. And I have, I'm really indebted to a woman called Moya Armstrong who runs, um, treaty workshops looking at the treaty that um, Māori and Europeans made early on in the European colonisation history. And she, I'd always been incredibly drawn to Māori culture and um, kind of picked out bits that I thought were lovely. And she said, that's not yours and you, that's not for you to take. You need to look and research your own history and so what's been beautiful for me to understand is Māori culture is unique. And there are the things that I was wanting to pick at. Appropriate. <laughs> Appropriate. Thank you for the right word. Um, actually, uh, uh, alive in a different form in the roots, my cultural roots. And I think that part of what is so beautiful about um, Te O Māori and the Māori worldview is that It's alive here, you can feel the presence of uh, this living, powerful, connected culture um, when you walk around the place. And in much the same way, um, Aboriginal Australians understand themselves as keeping the land alive by walking and talking. I think a living culture is so deeply connected to the earth, that part of the earth they stand on, um, that what we're feeling into is that living connection. And I think many of us who can't, you know have been colonisers, <laughs> miss our living connection to our land, or we're cobbling it together on the land that we stand on, mm-hmm. and our bones don't remember the land in the same same way. So when I went to Scotland, I was thinking, oh, cold, I hate the cold and porridge and haggis I'm not gonna like it (laughs) and I went there and my whole body went home and I was like no it can't be I just my bones something about that place my bones remembered and I yeah I think we all and I think this connects right back to soul I think our souls have a longing to remember that connection I think that belonging and remembering is part of what's we are hungry for Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and part of what we try to numb out from Mm -hmm. part of what we try to satiate with purchasing and power and you know being productive, all those things that modern Western culture asks of us. Yeah. And yet I think it's that belonging that you your all of your work is so beautifully in service of. I think that's part of what the belonging is that we belong to the land. We belong here on the earth. We belong to each other. Yeah.
0: But you know, your con- what you're bringing up is, is kind of a, a call in to me a little bit because, and I, this came up with Howard C. Stevenson too, who studies, well, he's the head of the African American Studies Department at UPenn, at the mm-hmm. University of Pennsylvania, which is a, a good school in the US. Um, and he said, he said, look, you know, we talk about, Social justice. But to really do the work, it isn't just about it isn't just about learning to be PC and politically correct, or learning how to share power. He really was mirroring what you just said. He said, "You have to start to discover where you come from, where you come from." And I have oftentimes thought about from a deeply kind of almost Jungian place. What is the wound that is acted out in the colonization process? That wound of dislocation and abandonment such that we now force somebody else to feel the wound with us.
1: Mm. You know, right? Yeah, I do know. So Dr. Estes has taught about that really beautifully. She says we are all from vanquishers and the vanquished. Mm. each of us have come through a process in our history of being the perpetrators and being the victims in terms of our cultural heritage and she really encourages people to do their DNA as a way of thinking right I link back to all these places that my thinky mind doesn't know about and yet there was that there's some way that that opens doors on understanding and that reconnection and thinking about things that's
0: been really useful for me that's too funny I'm in the process of doing that because uh, I had a family member pass last year and there was something that came out in that dialogue I should say it was my mother that passed last year so it was a big one but she had um had said that um my grandmother was Jewish, but always hid it, mm-hmm. and so now I'm just obsessed. I'm like, well, I need to find out if I'm Jewish. <laughs> sure. You know, I mean, that's a huge part of. And now I'm living in Germany, so. But I, I feel wow. that way when I work with clients. Too, you can feel, in a way, the way we've set up our family systems where we don't make time to have that child-parent bonding. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it feels like it's a repetition from our abandonment to our, to our land. You know, you talk about repetition, compulsion, and psychology. I'm like, gosh, we're just repeating it. We're just bringing what was happening culturally into the family system. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) My brain is just like, yes,
1: it's that whole piece about belonging. And, and if you think about belonging as a big wedge, you know, we belong to our people, we belong to the land, we belong to the planet, we belong to the divine, and that we're taught to live on this tiny pointy bit of the wedge. I just belong to me and all my problems are my own and I'm struggling here alone. Mm-hmm. But actually, when we have the sense of connection back through time and space, back to our you know, our family of origin back to their people, you know, we're actually nourished by so much more, but there's something about modern Western culture that wants us to blame ourselves, to only be responsible for ourselves, to, do you know what I mean? Like there's something about, see, as you were saying that you might have Jewish heritage. Um, I was thinking about Dr. Steeves has this incredible poem called Abre la Puerta, excuse my Spanish, I don't have spanish pronunciation but it's about opening the door and she sees the wound as a door Mm -hmm. so that wound if the family secret was i'm jewish and i can't tell anyone
0: Mm
1: -hmm. that's a door for you to walk through Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and it's a door all of those injuries are doors for us to walk through if we have the courage to open them open them Mm -hmm. because behind that is belonging to something immense Mm
0: -hmm. right Because behind that is belonging to something immense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that when I was sitting on a sidewalk, what's evolved in me over time is that there's the outward search for belonging and the creation of belonging outward, but I also have been definitely feeling the need to sort of turn around and go back into my past to go, okay, well, Mm -hmm. I need to know more about the belonging there. And I think the, that truly the belonging needs to be both ways, right. right? It needs to be in the land and the over culture here. And then it needs to be out here in our family and our communities. And my hope is we can do both at the same time. I certainly, you know, I, I think the hardest part about um, listening on sidewalks for a lot of folks that listen is they still get this mindset that it's, it's not about belonging and connection. It's about fixing and making people feel better I'm like no it's not (laughs) and I know that's old habit because that's that's our culture influencing it but we do our best to try to um, help people stretch into a new way of connecting that isn't about power where one person is whole and the other person is broken and gee I'm I'm gonna make you feel better by listening to you
1: um yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the one of the untruths we buy into is that somewhere out there, and this is from modern Western culture, as far, this is the lens I'm looking through. It t- sells us that we should be perfect, and that the onus on per- f- to be perfect is on us. So we hide all these weaknesses and injuries and foibles, and we pretend and we try and win belonging through that pretending.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, when we can, excuse me, when we can do that belonging in here, when we are loving on ourselves enough to be able to hold the, the shadow, the difficulty, the injury, the weakness in, in our own loving arms, mm. that makes belonging out there so much easier. But when you're using the model of broken and fixed, that's very hard to reach it's very hard to reach that place where um it's not something that oh thank god now i'm i'm no longer (laughs) in this behavior i'll I'll be all right now you know that's the that's the fib we're told Mm. and i think that's where your work helps people stop and i'm really interested to watching your body turn around because my understanding of maori culture is Māori walk into the future, taking their past with them. Interesting. So it's not, and I think that's part of my connection to the unconscious is that story is a way that we have done that as humans throughout time and space. It's told those stories as a way of bringing the past into the future. And I was reflecting, you know, if we'd had good storytelling about the Spanish flu, we might have walked very differently into this experience mm. as humans. So, there's something about <clears throat> drawing the real humanness into life um, that feels very important right now.
0: You talk about storytelling on your website, and if you had a magic wand to sort of reshape storytelling in our culture, because I, I, people use this word, and I'm still trying to understand storytelling, okay, to be honest. I, Beginner's mind here, but I've never had anyone talk about it on this cultural level like you are. And but if you could magically manifest storytelling to happen in a way that was culturally more impactful, what would that look like? Would it be people sitting? At cafes telling stories. I'm mean, like, what, what, what does that mean to have stories?
1: People sitting on sidewalks talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of it, Tracy. That's part of it, is actually getting some cultural practice at revealing yourself, mm. at telling your story. You know, so my granddad, who had the hat, the coal miner, he was a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And I can remember being absolutely transfixed and it didn't have to be anything important. It was what he did was he could make experience come alive. And my children have granddad alive in them because I've told them Granddad stories. Mm -hmm. And there's something about, mm, there's something about how story brings the immensity alive in us and makes the numinous available, uh, that I think circumvents all of that um, medicalization, the, you know, having to, school, we test everything to make it real. There's mm-hmm. something about the way that story subverts that framework that I think is really beautiful. So I think, you know, just having space to listen and having space to tell story, not just, I think, myth and fairy tale are really important. But not just those stories. The stories about what happened to your grandmother that made her have to hide that.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Uncovering that story brings immense amounts of healing.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. It makes you understand that you come from people who are strong enough to hold something secret in order to be safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I come from people who is a pretty powerful thing to claim for yourself Mm. I'm immensely proud of my grandparents who you know granddad was a coal miner grandma brought up four sons had gardens they were so kind they fed people granddad left school at 13 you know I that gives me such a sense of pride and who I am because I come from people who are capable of Mm. kindness even though they had immense deprivation and hard work and stuff
0: yeah wow well that's my big uh that's a great question self question i come from people who super cool i think it it also helps direct what kind of person you want to be because wherever that pride lives might inform some of your values going forward too beautiful you know yeah yeah And, you know, if
1: if what you find means that you make amends, then that's powerful healing too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that cultural colonizer piece for me is part of that. It's part of what I look at, yeah.
0: No, in fact, that's a big big piece of my work because I think there's a lot of... um, where I come from in the Bay Area, there's a lot of what's called performative allyship, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. calling out other white folks who's more woke than who. And I'm just not interested in any of that stuff. Um, I'm more interested in ancestral healing, inside mm-hmm. of me and outside of me, and um, so that's been my newest piece of piece of work. Not working with a therapist, but working with someone that does does more of that kind of groovy, kind of ancestral work. There's a lot too, um, and, and she's she's a a person of color, but she also was challenging me on the healing that we have to do along gender lines too. She said, woof, there's still very, very, you know, there's all these intersections of of places where where there's amends to be made and meanings and lessons to reclaim. And um, I come from women who, you know, Mm. Mm. yeah, yeah, right. And, you know, I think what's really
1: interesting, the thread that's following some of that along, is the dehumanisation piece. So I worked for years with um, people with intellectual and physical disabilities, and that was a really strong part of what
0: mm.
1: I was, became so alive to, was the dehumanisation of these people. They were looked at as if they weren't even people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think we do there's something about modern Western culture that kind of chips away at all of us, Mm -hmm. not to the same extent, but, you know, we're asked to not be human Mm -hmm. and I, you know, we're supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to be, our worth is through what we produce. We are um, supposed to buy ourselves happy, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that stuff. Um, Even the fact that happy is king of emotions, right? We're all supposed to be happy all the time. That's not a human stance. Like, we yeah. as human beings, of course, we're going to respond with fear and anger, and you know, all of the things that we're taught make us broken.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, to go back to that piece you were saying before about broken and fixed. And actually, that's what a human does.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A human gets scared and angry and lonely, and all of those things that we. And we actually somehow understand ourselves as broken when we have that experience.
0: Oh, I did for years. In fact, I just uh, did a talk this morning on, um, you know, we need to get better at feeling, not better at feeling, not better at feeling better. Oh my God. That's a Stephen Hayes quote. That's not a, my quote. So I, but he's, (laughs) he's right. He's just like, uh, yeah, psychotherapy isn't for getting is, isn't for feeling better. It's for getting better at feeling, oh, period.
1: That is so delicious. Isn't it? And I think that's what the polyvagal theory helps me to do, mm. is to understand that this body has been created so that I'm having a human experience. And part of that is to feel like I want to fight somebody who threatens me. And then I do all this shaming of myself. For that experience, and actually, that's just my body trying to keep me safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, there's been a forgiveness for me about my own wonky humanness looking at things through that lens. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why I wrote that piece because I thought I can see people around me who are just so numbed out that they don't care about what's happening for other people and it's not great (laughs) and it's not helpful
0: and it's there for a reason it's trying to keep them safe you know yeah so yeah well i know that we're near the end of our time and i wanted to to clear the deck so that you can speak directly to some of our listeners i don't think this went live but it's okay Okay. because i'm just going to take the video and i'm going to post it live anyway so it'll go up live so we can say hi to everyone Um, And people, you can comment, I'm sure, I'm sure Jane will come in and um, look and see who's commented once this goes live, so, so go for it. Um, What you can imagine is that in 15 different countries, we have thousands of listeners that sit out on sidewalks, and just as a way for you to offer either words of wisdom or a wish, to them Mm. what might you want to say in dialogue in connection with them directly
1: what a beautiful question Uh, I feel quite moved by it because I think what I would like to say is that what you're doing sitting there on the sidewalk opposite another human whether you're the listener or the, the storyteller is you're actually healing our cultural wounds you're healing our lack of belonging you're doing sacred work you're offering people you're opening the door to your heart and you're opening your own heart's door and i think that's what is going to that's what's going to heal us because we all want to belong and be connected and each act of that belonging and connection strengthens that healing on the planet so yeah. That's what I'd like to say. And it's really interesting. I don't know if this is the right place, but I did some tidying yesterday,
0: which is very unlike me. <laughs> <laughs> I am a slasher from way back. I am not a tidy person myself. I'm an aquarius. aquarius. Are you an aquarius?
1: No, I'm a boring old Taurus who is supposed to be very house proud and, you know, it's not the way. <laughs> but you can see the mess behind me, so I know I'm not... Um, you know I'm not faking it. But I found this little ripped up old quote. Yes. And I'd really like to read it. If yes, it please. Up. So it's from the beloved Rumi, who is just, you know, a magician mm. with words. So it says, oh, my heart, don't become discouraged so easily. Have faith in the hidden world. There are many mysteries, many wonders. And even if the whole planet threatens you with your life, do not let go of the beloved's robe. For even a breath. Wow. Well,
0: I hear no matter how scared or hard it gets, don't let go of our connection to one another. In that. Yeah.
1: And to the holy, because it's right there. Yeah. It's right there, egging us on, cheering yes. us on.
0: Yeah. I wanna say thank you to you for, for two things. One, for making this time, but I feel um, so seen and heard. You're, you have gotten this project more than any person I've ever spoken to. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so People just don't get They think that I, it's like my white saviorism or I'm trying to go do street therapy. I'm like, oh God, no, that's not it. It's so much deeper than that. So thank you for putting into words what I haven't been able to for five years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am so grateful to be able to do it. I mean, I, I cried when I, re- I listened to your little video about what it was that you got because I thought, I genuinely thought that's holy work and that's what the world needs right now. And for me, discovering that through you opening a door uh, gives me a sense of faith and um, hopefulness about where we're going. Mm. So I'm incredibly grateful too, mm. Tracy. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Jane. And we'll also thank Rebecca. Thank you, Rebecca. Let's say thank you to Rebecca, too, for introducing (laughs) us. (laughs) All right. Well, you have a lovely rest of your day. It's early in the morning for you, you and it's late for me. And it's the next day for you. It's Wednesday.
1: I'm a woman from the future. I don't do lottery numbers, but,
0: you know. (laughs) So everybody (laughs) that's watching who is not in Eastern Asia, just time traveled too, this entire interview, which is kind of cool. We have that off. (laughs) They went into the future. We are.
1: (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, Tracy. More soon. Bye now. Take care.
0: Bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from, and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.